Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, November 21st, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been up to at the water cooler. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Writer Swytran Bowie. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Um, we have a lot to talk about because we're recording this on Wednesday. We usually do it on Monday. So we have two extra days of uh, stuff to talk about. Um, so let's just get into it. Let's. Um, and, and it should be, I said, that uh, Jacob is joining us by phone. So his uh, audio does not sound as crisp as it normally does. But he's sitting on the floor in a closet somewhere. I'm in my childhood home in the closet, just like I was when I was a child. <laughs> well, it, it sounds fine. So um, let's get into the, the stuff. Uh, let's talk about what we've been doing. Um, I will start things off. This past week, I went to a warehouse in Glendale. Uh, basically, Disney has these accelerator spaces that they companies that they kind of invest in can have the, these spaces on the Disney-owned land, and one of them is this company called The Void, which makes these VR experiences. Uh, you 
probably heard Jacob talk about uh, Star Wars Shadows of the Empire on a past version of this podcast. And uh, I, I think I even talked about it. Um, their next experience with Disney is Ralph Breaks VR, which is based on Ralph Breaks the Internet. And I went to this accelerator space to basically go inside the Internet and experience this new uh, VR experience. Uh, now... I'll, uh, I'll give you the, the quick primer. If you've never experienced VR, you put on a headset and you're in a virtual world. If you haven't experienced VR, you probably aren't interested in v- experience in VR. But if you've experienced VR, then you probably are very interested in experience VR. VR. Uh, a lot of people that have experienced VR have done probably very cheap experiences made you know, for marketing purposes. The Void is creating these experiences, which they call uh, room scale. So basically, you're walking with a computer strapped on your back through a kind of maze, a labyrinth of, uh, of, of like actual physical space. And in the virtual world, all the space that's around you, like if there's a wall, you can touch it. If there's a door, you can open it. If there's a gun, you can fire it. Um, and... Uh, Experiencing the Star Wars one was incredible because it really felt like you were in the world of Star Wars. Ralph Breaks VR basically puts you... You are uh, brought into the world of the internet by Vanellope and Ralph, and you get to play a bunch of games. One is in a Tron-like setting, but it's kind of like Space Invaders, and the other is uh, set in the world of Pancake Milkshake, but uh, things have gone horribly wrong. Um, this, while the Star Wars version was kind of an experience in a story, storytelling experience, this is more of, this is more gamified. So you're given this gun at the beginning of the experience and uh, the gun can shoot either milkshakes or pancakes, which both have different effects. And, uh, during this whole thing, you're gaining points and you're competing against the other people that you are sent into this experience with and you can actually look at your 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 wrist and there's a on your wrist in the virtual world there is a watch that has a holographic display that actually shows the point totals for you and your your friends so you're competing against them in in these kind of games the games really aren't from the movie it doesn't really feel like you're in the movie uh where the star wars one felt more photorealistic and felt like you were in a real space. This feels like you are in a video game, which to me is not as exciting. Um, and because it's not as much of a storytelling experience, it's it's more of a, a fun game you can play with your friends, which I guess you could uh, makes it more replayable because you you might want to go do it again and see who can get the the high score the next time. But to me, I felt like it wasn't as cool as the Star Wars experience. But I will say this. There are some cool things that they are doing. They they are learning how to make it so that everybody in this experience is kind of very involved. There's a point where you're uh, led into this room and you stand at these spots that are almost like uh, uh, transporter spots, I guess. Um, and basically, even though you are in a room with three of your other friends in like a small space the spots now transport you in this virtual world into like different corners of this virtual world so i can see my friend who is literally right next to me in physical space but it looks like they are like yards away from me and we're playing this game together so it's, it's kind of cool in that way um I, I would say check it out if if it interests you 
Uh, I, I'm more excited for what they're going to do with Marvel coming up next. They haven't announced exactly what it is, but we know that they are working on something. Um, I wrote a whole article about this uh, for SlashFilm.com. I will link it in the show notes. Uh, I have a bunch of stuff, stuff I did this week. I was actually very busy this week. I spent the weekend at a magic convention in Culver City. That's not that interesting, so I won't talk about it. I also went to DesignerCon, which is, I think, probably my favorite convention uh, right now. Uh, DesignerCon has been taking place in Pasadena in the Pasadena Convention Center. This year, uh, for the first time, it... it got supersized and was brought to Anaheim, to Anaheim Convention Center. A lot of people were worried that it would lose a little of the charm of the small convention. It's it's basically, if you've ever been to Comic-Con or any comic convention, this is basically Artist Alley, but as a convention. So the whole convention is basically art and collectibles. You know, it's not, um, you know, tons of booths selling Funko shit it's you know it's it's but it's it's mostly artists selling their wares and uh i i will say you know, some of the charm is lost it is a much bigger space and a lot uh more uh artists there but i bought a ton of stuff and i i just love this convention and it's it's one of my favorite conventions every year and now that it's in anaheim that means after it's over i can go over to disneyland and which I did. I'll talk to, talk more about that and what we've been eating. Um, so yeah, I guess that was basically my my week in a nutshell. Let's move on to Chris. Chris, you have been moonlighting as a spy. Yes, I usually don't have anything for this section of the water cooler, but this time I actually did stuff. Um, in honor of the uh, Mission Impossible Fallout Blu-ray and uh, digital release. Paramount uh, brought me out to Washington, D.C., and uh, since it was so close, I got to take the train instead of flying, which was fine with me because I'm terrified of flying. And I got to go to the International Spy Museum, which is something I didn't even know existed, but it's been there for years. And, you know, they have all sorts of stuff used in real spy craft. There's, you know, listing devices and guns hidden in lipstick tubes, stuff like, you know, really, you know, stuff you usually think of as being in spy movies. They really have it there. That was really used. And uh, we got to talk to people from the movie. They weren't the most exciting cast members. One of them was Wolf Blitzer, who of course plays himself in the movie, but it's not really him. It's actually spoiler alert, Simon Pegg wearing a Wolf Blitzer mask. So it, it was kind of weird to have him be the, the person for the movie we interview, but he was very uh, professional because he talks for a living. So he knows what to do. And then we got to talk to real life spies, which was very interesting. Just talking to these two people who they don't look like spies. They look like, you know, your, your grandparents on vacation, but they, they really were spies at one point for the CIA and they were very open. They were very interesting. And I, I honestly got to talk to them for hours. We only had like five minutes with them, but the time we got to talk with them was really great. And uh, I wrote this up on SlashHome.com, and there's a great uh, little video as well that Paramount shot for me and uh, our own Ben pieced together. Did He did a great job editing all this footage together. Thanks, Chris. I, I have one question for you. On the train ride back, did you have to fight off the urge to climb onto the roof of the train as it was moving <laughs> like Tom Cruise does in the first Mission Impossible movie? I did. I had the, the red light, green light gum, and I slammed it on the windshield, and then they threw me <laughs> off the train. <laughs> I just want to add that the coolest revelation for me reading uh, Chris's article, which is very good, 
uh, is that he, when he spoke to two spies, they confirmed that Tinky Taylor's Soldier Spy is, in fact, the most realistic spy movie of all time. So Spies is, is really more about sitting in rooms looking worried than it is about riding on trains. Sorry, everyone. Yeah, I, I asked them what the least realistic and most realistic was. And unfortunately, they didn't give me the least realistic one, but they both confirmed as far as they're concerned, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is is really the most accurate in terms of spycraft. And that makes sense because the author actually was a spy. He, he was a spy in British intelligence for years. So it, I guess it kind of makes sense as to why that's so accurate. Yeah, the International Spy Museum is really cool. I've been there once before when I was, it was like on a school field trip back when I was, I think, in elementary school. And I distinctly remember the lipstick gun because I thought that was a very cool device that was several decades old. And I was surprised how they could fit all that in that tiny little container. And I think they had like a, a sim, like a sim, simulation of some sort at some point too, where you could, this was like t- 10, 15 years ago. So. Oh, I, I actually, there anymore. No, I actually forgot. Yeah, there's a they had us do at the very end. It was like an escape room challenge, oh. basically, where we're in like a fictional country and we have to find a missing nuclear device. And it was it was fun. I, you know, before <laughs> we did it, the, the, the PR people were like, it'll be fun. And they said it in that tone that like people say to their kids when they're going to the dentist, like, <laughs> it'll be fun. And I was like, oh, no. But it, it really did turn out to be uh, entertaining. And I've never actually done like an escape room thing before. So this is like a first for me. But it was neat. It was neat. It was over in like an hour. It flew by. And uh, yeah, I, I had a good time. It was nice to go out there. It wasn't unlike some other trips I did. It was really not that much of a hassle because D.C. is not that far from Philadelphia. So I got home in like an hour. And, it was, you know, so it, it was it was it was a, it was a good time. Um. I have to ask you, because you mentioned that the spies you talked to did not look like spies. So I'm wondering, what do you think spies look like? Do you think they look like Tom Cruise? Or do I you guess think I just... <laughs> just look like normal people that like are like their whole point is to blend in? I think it's just because and this is going to make me sound ageist, but they're these these people were, were elderly. They're probably like in their 70s. So, uh... I mean, you know, my you know, I don't picture every spy looking like Tom Cruise, but I just I, I guess I had a hard time reconciling them with being spies but of course they weren't spies when they were this age they were spies years ago like the one the guy was telling me when he became a spy he didn't even know what the cia was like no one knew what it was at the time so that gives you an idea of how long ago he would he got into this because everyone knows the cia is now so but when we when i sat down with them i was like oh these just look like someone's grandparents they don't look like people engaging in dangerous missions but they were at one point um you know, while we have all been having fun, Brad has been doing uh, some raising some money for charity. Brad, what what have you been up to? Indeed, I have. Um, so I'm part of a charity group uh, in my hometown that we formed um, back oh, a few years back. I was uh, doing stand up comedy with a friend of mine, um, the guy who I host my podcast with, uh, named Ben. And we decided to start um, doing stand-up shows in our own hometown. Since I live in a smaller town, there's not like a ton of like activities happening like there are, you know, in big cities where there's comedy shows and concerts and stuff like that all the time. Uh, and so we started doing these stand-up shows that we would invite all of our friends and family to, um, and put them on in this uh, community theater space that seats about 220 people. And we decided to have all of the money for those shows go to charity. 
And we've been doing them for about four years now, I'd say. And we've done, I believe this was our eighth show. And every single one of them has sold out every single time. And all the proceeds go to a local charity, stuff to support uh, our own hometown. Um, just because we want to do something good, you know, in, in our area as opposed to giving it to, you know, some sort of national charity. And so this last time we put on a comedy show and we kind of wanted to up the game a little bit. We usually stick with comedians who are more uh, local. They're, they're fairly well known in the area, like Chicago comedians, things like that. Um, but this time we decided to uh, do something a little bit bigger and we got Kyle Kinane to come do uh, our shows this time. We had him at a comedy club that we used to co-run a while back. And so we reached out to him to see if he'd be interested in doing it since he was already going to be in Chicago for another show. And thankfully, he uh, very kindly agreed. He did two shows for us back to back. So I, I was there, you know, helping run um, the sound and, and lights for the show. And so got to, you know, watch him do two different sets. And he, he mixed it up each time. So it wasn't the exact same set over again. And he's just he's one of my favorite stand-up comedians. He's, he's just a fantastic dude. And he's downright hilarious. Um, and so I, I love doing stuff like this just because it's, it's, you know, a good thing to do for my town. And I'm just a big stand-up comedy nerd in general. So it was, uh, it was a really fun experience. Brad, stop trying to make us all look bad. <laughs> uh, well, while Chris was at the, the International Spy Museum, HT was visiting another museum. Yeah. So I got to see, got to visit the Museum of Moving Image, which is the uh, media museum in Astoria, Queens. And uh, it's only about a mile away. I walked there, which was really nice from my apartment. And uh, there is currently an ongoing, uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs Museum, uh, Scruggs exhibit going on there, as well as a Jim Henson exhibit that's been there for a while. And I got to go through both of them. The Jim Henson exhibit was especially cool because it was quite interactive. There was a part where you could um, sort of play some of the um, uh, Muppets from one of the from the older uh, Jim Henson shows, and um, you, they would capture it on screen, and you could sync, like lip sync to one of the songs from one of the talk shows, which is which variety shows, which was so fun. And um, then, and there's a. Uh, great exhibits of like the Muppets, the history of that, as well as some of Jim Henson's later works, such as Dark Crystal and Labyrinth. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that. I spent like an hour going through that exhibit. And the Buster Scruggs exhibit was surprisingly small. It was, I, I thought for some reason that it was an entire Coen Brothers exhibit, but it, it was actually only like highlighting the costumes of Buster Scruggs. So it was like half a room, but it was still really cool. And they were playing clips from the anthology film, which I still have yet to see. I need to watch it on Netflix at some point. So that was really cool. And I hope to go back to the Museum of Moving Image uh, again because there are always new exhibits going on. And I just had so much fun just playing around. There's Oh, there's also like a video game part of the exhibit that um, showed some older consoles as well as new consoles. So it's really weird to see a Nintendo Wii next to like <laughs> an old PlayStation, for example. But you could play with all of them. And... Um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And oh, there's also like a stop motion animation area as well, which uh, you can make tiny short stop motion animated movies using cutouts. So it was a it was a really fun experience. I highly recommend it for anyone who is a, a movie buff in any way or who just likes to go to interactive museums. Um, and then I also had a another Friendsgiving. So a few weeks ago, I had a Friendsgiving when I was in D.C. It was part of like my going away weekend. And now I had New York edition 
when I was here and I had it actually at my new apartment, um, which I was a little nervous about because my roommate was like, why don't we have it here? But uh, we already had like most of our furniture and um, everyone, all our friends kind of came together really quickly to make a, a fun little potluck. So my roommate and I made like cocoa van mashed potatoes and we had some delicious um, butternut squash and um, stuffing and everything. So it was a good time. Wait, so are you having another Thanksgiving tomorrow? Yeah, my family. <laughs> and so you had don't three worry. Thanksgiving? <laughs> yes. I mean, what's how, the how point of this holiday like if you can't? Pounds? Well, I just did ab exercises yesterday <laughs> to like preemptively prepare. And I've been like kind of sore all day because I haven't exercised in a while. So uh, I don't know how much it'll work. But yeah, I, I'm planning to eat a lot for this holiday because like what's the point of thanksgiving otherwise um and yeah i'm only making the salad for my family thanksgiving so that's much easier than the other ones you know so i should break into this aside because i'm wondering what everybody is doing tomorrow for thanksgiving jacob what are you up to on thanksgiving well i'm back home in shirts texas or outside san antonio and i'm just trying to survive in a house with five dogs three babies and all my brothers and sisters and their spouses. I mean, it's all a pleasant bunch. It's just very loud. So much barking, so much crying, so much, so, so many liquids. <laughs> Chris, how about you? Uh, my wife and I do a very low-key Thanksgiving where it's literally just us, and uh, I'm fine with that. Uh, it's it, There's no real hassle. It's just the two of us, we just make uh, a small amount of food. We eat it. We pass out, and then what, we watch. What movies. kind of food do you make on Thanksgiving? Because you don't eat any any meat, right? Uh yeah. I basically have all the sides, and that's it. My <laughs> that is my, awesome, actually. Yeah, that's, that's I, I'm fine with that. I mean, last year I tried a, a tofurkey, and it tasted terrible. So I learned my lesson, <laughs> and I said I'm just gonna eat the sides next year, and that's now. What do you watch during Thanksgiving? You don't watch like sports and stuff, I assume. Oh God, no, no. Um, <laughs> I I usually try to watch. The uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, like every year around this time, so I'll probably break that out. the The extended edition, which is you know seven hundred hours long. <laughs> uh, ben, what are you doing tomorrow? Uh, I'm going to hang out with you, Peter. Uh, <laughs> we're going to have a, a small friendsgiving, and um, yeah, I think I think we're just taking it easy. I'm gonna my wife and I are going to make what we call shakaroni and cheese, which is uh, this recipe that was in like an old edition of USA Today years ago where uh, Shaquille O'Neal shared the recipe <laughs> of the mac and cheese that his grandmother and mom used to make him when he was growing up. And we tried it once. It has like a pound of cheese or more than a pound of cheese in it. And it was amazing. And so every year since then, we have uh, made it for uh, Thanksgiving, and it's been like a highlight of of my wife and I's uh, our, our Thanksgivings over the past I don't know three or four years or something like that. So I'm um, looking forward to bringing that and seeing how everybody reacts to shakaroni and cheese. <laughs> We're gonna have to link that in the show notes if you can find the link to uh, that recipe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll see if I can find it. Yeah, um, yeah, we're having a Friendsgiving over at my place, uh, and uh, you know, it's it's weird. Like, I feel like as I get older, like it used to be this kind of big thing where a lot of people would come over, but now a lot of my friends are having like kids and families, and I don't know, less people this year. But it, it's still gonna be fun, and uh, you know, we just like to eat all the things. That's uh, maybe play some games. Yeah, um, Brad. What are you doing on Thanksgiving? Uh, so I will actually be uh, – I'm spending Thanksgiving and the next couple of weeks actually in Utah seeing my girlfriend again. 
Uh, we decided to like double up on the time I spent here because her birthday is also really close to Thanksgiving on December 2nd. So I'm going to be hanging out with uh, her, a little side of her family. Not as many as we originally thought because some of them have to work and some of them ended up going to other their significant others' families instead. Um, but we're going to have like a, a just like a nice little meal and we'll probably end up heading to the movies to see something. Um, and so while I'll be out here, I'm just going to be trying to catch up on a bunch of movies and uh, probably watching some at home with my girlfriend as well. I personally, when uh, as soon as Thanksgiving is over, uh, it's time to break out the the Christmas movies. So usually watch planes, trains and automobiles and then start rolling in on all the other Christmas movies that, you know, you watch every year like elf and Christmas vacation and all that jazz for sure. Uh, okay. Let's get back to things. Uh, talk about what Jacob has been up to this week. Well, I flew to Atlanta late last week on a last minute, uh, business trip for slash film.com. And I, I had, I'm, I, I signed two NDAs, Peter. I cannot tell you a thing <laughs> about, what I was there to see or how it was the coolest thing I've ever seen on a work-related visit. Uh, sometime, probably sometime mid or late next year, I'll be able to tell you about the most amazing thing I've ever done on, on a, on a work trip for slash film.com, but not yet, not yet. Yeah. Uh, ben, what have you been up to? Uh, I had a very low key weekend. My wife and I just started going through the footage for the Iceland trip that we went on recently. And we're, we're going through the, the long process of like cataloging all of that and trying to uh, start the editing process of like cutting together our final video, which is sort of like a, uh, I don't know, like a living scrapbook kind of thing of uh, a memento from our trip. So um, we got to look through all of the drone footage that we shot there, and we got some really, really cool stuff. So I'm excited to uh, to really dig into that. It's going to take us a long time to get through all this because we're doing a, an Iceland video, and then separately we're going to do an Ireland video as well. So um, it's <laughs> it's going to be a while, but uh, just the starting that process is um, is uh, <laughs> you know you, you, it's like it's like beginning a long battle or something like, you know, that you're going to really like uh, roll up your sleeves and, and dig into this thing. So uh, I'm looking forward to to pushing through it. I, I'm curious about your process here, because like I, I know how, you know, usually the filmmaking process or documentary filmmaker filmmaking process works where you have to go through and like catalog all the footage you saw kind of like, have uh, you know, and maybe even like, you know, flag the good stuff and not flag. Like, mm-hmm. how, 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 how do you, how does it work with you? Yeah. So we, we make three folders. One is called must. Another one is called good. And the other one is called hell no or something like that. And, <laughs> and basically we just go, we open up all of the footage that we have and just drag all of the watch through every video file that we shot while we were there and then drag it into those folders. And then once we actually start the editing process, we'll, import all of the stuff from the must use folder and try to build out the video from there. But if we need something a little bit extra, then we'll go into the good folder. And, and, you know, my wife actually writes down like what every video is of. And, and she's, I think she said this year that she's actually going to go a step further and make an, ex, uh, an Excel spreadsheet that has all the information in there. Cause we have so much footage this year. Um, so it'll be easily searchable if we're like looking for, Oh yeah, there, you know, we really need a driving shot here. And then, you know, she can just call up the, uh, the uh, file name really easily that way so uh yeah it's a whole thing <laughs> how, how long do you think it's going to take you to make this video 
the thing is, you know, if we were, if she didn't have a job and I didn't have a job and we were just sitting down and doing that all day, every day, I think it would only take us like, I don't know, a, a couple weeks to get it to the point where we really love <laughs> I it. I you were going to say a couple days. A couple weeks well, sounds like I a mean, long time. Okay, I, yeah, I guess if we were both working like long you know, long, full, long hours, um, maybe a week or something, but I don't know. It's a, it's a long process. And, and it, it's like one of those things where it's sort of a fluid thing. We don't know what it is we want to do yet. We find it as we make it. So, um, wow. I talked about this for way longer than I thought I was going to. So sorry for anybody who finds this incredibly boring. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'm getting interested in all this because I, I watch a lot of YouTubers who talk about, you know, how they shoot things and, and stuff like that. So it's, uh, I don't know. I don't think I'm gonna be, you know, start doing video. Uh, v- what do you call them? Vlogs, I guess. Well, I, I guess, guess yours so, yeah. are more like a, a travel. It's like log. a one and done. Yeah, yeah, like a travel log or something like that. Yeah, but I'm I'm kind of interested in the whole process. I might I might try to tackle one at one point. Uh, but I don't know. I I find I find it hard when I'm having fun to capture the stuff. Like I feel like when I do like stuff like that it's it's like when i have downtime which is when the you know not interesting stuff is happening <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a whole like you have to get, you have to really be in that mindset when you're doing the thing to remember to get the footage but it's really cool to have all of it and then because then you're sort of like reliving the entire trip and all the the highlights and the best moments are playing out right in front of you as you're going through the footage again so uh it's almost like we get to go on the trip again that way very cool. Okay, let's move on to what we've been watching. Uh, I got to see Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Uh, I think I'm the only one on staff at this point who has seen this movie, which is weird. Um, I talked about it previously on the early Buzz episode. I, you know, I'll be pretty quick with this, but uh, you know, I love the Wizarding World. I love the charming magic of that. I love you know the costumes, the production value, the the sets, the the music. Uh, I just don't care about any of these characters, and I don't care about the lineage of these characters from the Harry Potter films. Like it's just kind of very boring. And uh, the end of this movie has a reveal, and I'm gonna keep this as spoiler free as possible. But it's it's. Uh, feel like it's insulting and angering uh my girlfriend Kitra walked out of the movie and uh she's a huge harry potter fanatic she's you know read all the books watched all the movies many times she owns you know wands and you know t- you know prints on her wall she walked out of the movie saying she wished that these movies didn't exist so um yeah so th- th- there we have it it's not a bad movie it's just unnecessary and uh yeah it, it, it's it's kind of if where it goes is kind of insulting i feel but um yeah uh what else did i watch i watched two superhero movies this week i saw an early screening of aquaman and i saw an early screening of spider-man into the spider-verse and because of those those pesky ndas i'm not allowed to talk about either of them or give you my reaction just yet uh, but I have seen both of them, and uh, you might get some indication of what I thought of them later on in this podcast, even though it's unrelated to my reaction to those movies, because I can't give you a reaction to those movies. Um, but uh, I also did – we started watching the second season of American Vandal, and I'm 
I'm enjoying it. I uh, I like how, you know, the first season kind of came became like they made it like Netflix canon of like how you know it got picked up by Netflix and these filmmakers kind of like went on a search for like the next season and you know they're doing it at this other private school. I don't think I'm loving the dramatic reenactments, which I know is trying to capture that from other you know docu like real true crime documentaries. Um, but, uh, I feel like in this, I would much rather it be more like season one, but I've, I'm only a couple episodes in, so, uh, I gotta keep on watching, uh, but I am enjoying it. Um, and that is on Netflix. That's American Vandal. Chris, what have you been watching? Uh, I, I watched the new Shudder series, Dead Wax, and, uh, I loved it. One of my favorite, uh, sub, sub, sub genres in horror involves uh stories about people hunting down cursed objects like you know in the mouth of madness or uh the ninth gate where someone's trying to hunt down a cursed book and this is like that but it's someone trying to hunt down a cursed record and anyone who listens to the record uh dies or goes insane and it's it's really neat every episode is only like 10 to 14 minutes long so it's really easy to breeze through i finished it in one night there's like i think eight or eight episodes and it, it's really cool it, it, it doesn't take a lot of time to watch um if you have shutter which you should i i recommend checking it out uh i also saw creed 2 i actually saw this a little while ago but i was embargoed but now that the embargo is up i can tell you what i thought of it it's fine um <laughs> I love the first Creed. I think the first Creed is uh, one of my favorite movies. Honestly, it's fantastic. It, it takes the you know the, the the legacy of the Rocky franchise and and turns it into something new and fresh. And this one, um, you can really tell that Ryan Coogler did not write this one because it's very unsubtle. It's very on the nose. Uh, there are these ringside announcer characters who are so. They're, they're pretty much like narrators where they're just constantly saying what's happening, where they'll be like, can Adonis Creed reclaim his legacy in the ring? And it's like, stop, stop talking. You're ruining the movie. But beyond that, the, the actors do a great job. Michael B. Jordan is great. Sylvester Stallone is great. Tessa Thompson has a lot more to do in this one that she did the first one. So uh, their presence alone elevates the movie and Dolph Lundgren is really good too. He actually has like a bit of an arc. His Ivan Drago isn't just there to be the villain. He actually has some sort of arc, which uh, I was, I was pretty happy with. Uh, what else? I watched mile 22, which is the worst movie of the year. Um, I, <laughs> I, I, uh, I don't really like to do worst movie lists because I prefer to highlight stuff. I love, but if we do a worst movie list, this is my my number one. This movie is so terrible that Peter Berg should not be allowed to make movies for at least like 10 years. It's so, it's aggressively bad. It's editedly terrible. It's, the acting is bad. The script is awful. I, I don't know what happened because Peter Berg has made some okay movies in the past. This is definitely the worst thing he's ever made. And it's not even like, worth watching on like a, a so bad it's good level it's just awful and well, just chris, chris when they first announced it they they planned the entire franchise they talked about how it was the, a promising start for a whole series of movies what went wrong i i don't know i also remember reading they wanted to have like a vr experience i i don't know who thought this was like a franchise starter but 
I, I think it underperformed at the box office. And thankfully, I don't think we're going to get more of them. And uh, I won't lose any sleep over that. And uh, finally, I watched Netflix's new series, Dogs. Uh, uh, I'm a very big dog fan. I prefer dogs to humans. So I was I was both excited to watch this and apprehensive because I was really worried it was going to be have stuff where like, you know, a dog dies or something. And uh, it, it's what, definitely what, a mo- what what is this for people who don't know? So it's it's, it's the like bounty a bounty hunter show, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's about dog the bounty hunter. <laughs> um, no, it's a it's a docu series about dogs. Basically, every episode is about a different dog, and there's different stories. And uh, you know, one is about um, service dogs. One is about uh, this guy trying to get his dog out of uh, his home country because he had to flee it, and the dog is is trapped there. Uh, there's one about this dog who helps his owner uh, fish in Italy. It's all these like really unique slice of life stories. And man, let me tell you every episode by the end, even though nothing sad happens by the end of every episode, I'm like a, a sobbing mess just because I, I love dogs so much. And every episode is literally like by the time it ends, it's just like, man, our dogs great. And I'm just sitting there on the couch sobbing as my wife looks at me like I'm insane. <laughs> Um, I mean, she loves dogs too, but I, uh, I get very emotional about this stuff. So if, if you're a dog fanatic as I am, you should definitely check out dogs. Well, very cool. And that's on Netflix. Yes. It's, it's now streaming on Netflix. I think there's only like six episodes, so it, it shouldn't take too long to watch. HT, what have you been watching? So um, I went to the Metrograph uh, Theater, which Chris mentioned yesterday uh, on the podcast, and I went to see a special screening of Mandy, which I had not had the pleasure to see yet. And uh, it is a wild ride of a film. Um, I definitely expected it to be like a pulpy B-movie gore fest, but I didn't expect it to handle so powerfully this depiction of grief in a crazy in like a super crazy way of course but it's it's um a movie that like really makes use too of Nicolas Cage the actor uh just tapping into his most uh wild and out uh, like over the top style as well as like this his more uh quiet moments I don't know it was it's it's it was such an experience to watch and definitely felt like you were in the perspective of these characters who were tripping on LSD the entire time. So, but, but did you I, enjoy it? I enjoyed it. That's what I mean to say. I'm coming down to saying I really enjoyed it. I liked how Nicolas Cage was just this raw nerve of a character. I liked how over the top and bonkers it was. And I actually quite liked, um, I quite liked uh, Andrea Riseborough's character, Mandy, too, the titular character, um, which who I anticipated having less of a role than she did. But I liked how prominent she was in this movie. So I will say, yes, I did like it. It was crazy. It was buck wild. Um, I've never been like a huge Nicolas Cage fan. I've been kind of ambivalent towards his style. Most people either really love him or hate him. I will say I'm a big na- National Treasure fan, but I really liked him in this film and especially the way that he just so vulnerably replays portrays grief while you know swinging a a a chainsaw in a big chainsaw fight so that it's wild i loved it and how was metrograph 
Metrograph is cool. It's my first time there. It's definitely a smaller venue. It's not. It didn't really feel like a theater venue in a way because um, of just how like it was almost shaped kind of like it was like a form almost like a bar as well as like a storefront for um, like random theater food. But it was really cool. I didn't get to spend much time there because I got there like right before the movie started. But I quite liked it. And the, it was very intimate uh, theater setting too, which I liked. Cool. What what else have you been watching? Uh, so I also watched uh, Memories of Murder on Amazon Prime, and that's uh, one of Bong Joon Ho's uh, first films. It's the second film actually, as a as a fe- as a feature director. And um, I hadn't re- I hadn't seen a lot of his early, I, the earliest film I seen of him as was the host, and I liked a lot of films like Snowpiercer and Okja. Um, so I hadn't really seen or heard of Memories of Murder, but it is a great, hot um, crime thriller that just ricochets between tone of comedies and uh, of of suspense so well and so just um, unpredictably that you don't really know what, what to make of this film until it comes to like the emotional climax at the end and it's great. I absolutely loved it. And I highly recommend that you check this out. If you're a fan of Bong Joon-ho, you can watch that on Amazon prime. Yes, it's on Amazon prime. And I've also been watching on Netflix, uh, chilling adventures of Sabrina. I finally got to get a peek of it. I also absolutely love that series. Um, I, it reminds me a lot of, of Buffy the Vampire Slayer for many reasons, not because of the, the kind of character archetypes that we've seen that are very similar to Buffy, but also in its campiness and its almost and its morbidity. Uh, I quite like it. And I like that it has um, it kind of has a similar um, timelessness aspect as Riverdale does, but Riverdale has kind of this more kitchen sink aspect, whereas Chilling Adventures of Sabrina is very much embedded in like the 60s setting of the comic book that it's based on. And I like it a lot. Um, I'm a huge fan so far. I'm only, I think I'm only like five episodes in, but uh, I quite like it. And I love how vampy everyone is too. Um, Michelle, uh, oh, I forgot her name, and Gomez. Michelle Gomez, uh, for example, who plays Madame Satan, is just is so good and so over the top, uh, as well as Miranda Otto, who just looks fabulous in every scene. So I'm I'm enjoying it so much. The costumes in this show, too, are just so fabulous and glamorous. Um, and I've also been watching on Netflix, uh, She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. I was never a fan of the original She-Ra. It was a little bit before my time, so I didn't really know what to expect going in. But it's from the same creators as Avatar The Last Airbender, and I can definitely see that it echoes a lot of the sort of storyline and narratives of Avatar The Last Airbender in a good way. And um, although it kind of takes on the more kind of early kiddish aspects of Avatar, but that's not bad either. I love how complex the characters are, especially like all the female characters, which it's mostly driven by. And it also gives me Sailor Moon um, vibes as well in that regard, which I'm, which I'm liking. So it's, yeah, definitely like cross between some of my favorite animated series and really empowering and a great show, I think, for, for the demographic that it is. It's a good show in general, too. There's an episode in like towards the end of the series that has, is really great and shows this complex female dynamic that you wouldn't expect to see in a family, like a children's show. Um, I quite liked it. And I, I think that this is, this is a great um, get from Netflix. And uh, Shira and the Princesses of Power is on Netflix. That's on Netflix? 
Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, Brad, what have you been watching? I haven't been watching much just because I was so busy finishing my move, which was finally done completely before I came out here to Utah. Um, but I, on the flight over here, I watched Hotel Artemis, something that I missed in theaters. Um, and I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. It's, uh, it's nothing groundbreaking or anything like that, but um, I, I really liked the cast. Uh, I, you know, it's a pretty simple story, but I, I kind of liked the, the world it created um, by, ha- by acknowledging that there's these various chains of you know, hotels that work to keep criminals uh, like healing them when they're in trouble and keep, keeping them safe, that kind of thing. Um, it's, it didn't do, it's, there's, it definitely has some missteps and that kind of thing, but I just, I think I like the idea of it and it made me wish that they would take the concept and turn it into a TV series. And it does veer close to obviously having, you know, flares of, uh, the continental and John wick and whatnot. But this, this was a little bit, I guess, more, uh, I don't know, audacious, um, as far as you know, style goes. Um, not that John wick isn't stylish, but it's just, it's, it's different enough. I think that it works, it works on its own still. Um, so yeah, I think I would love to see them take this and turn it into some kind of series and I mean, maybe show off some of the other, you know, uh, hotels that are used to take care of criminals and that kind of thing. Cause, uh, I, I had a good time watching it. Did, did anybody else like Hotel Artemis? <laughs> it sounds like <laughs> no one else saw, saw it. it. Yeah. Did, did anyone see it? No, I, I didn't. Oh, okay. I never got around to it either. Yeah. I just, gone, Cause it looked like, like a we... John Wick knockoff. It, it bombed so fast that it was just out out of theaters. I didn't get a chance. Yeah, I don't know. I, I would love to hear what anybody else thinks about it as far well, as far as you guys are concerned because I I enjoyed watching it. Maybe it was just because it was a plane movie, um, but I like I said, I, I had fun with it. And then um, there wasn't really anything else that I had time to watch that I hadn't seen because we actually landed like a half an hour early. But uh, so the only thing that I really had time to that I chose to watch was The Lion King because it had been years since I had sat down and watched it in full. Um, and I just, I just love that movie so much. It's, it's one of my all time favorite Disney movies. I still know pretty much the whole thing by heart because of how much I watched it on VHS when I was a kid. And it's just, it's such a, uh, a tight movie. The songs are so good. The, the, the voices are perfectly cast. The, the characters are perfectly designed to, to fit those voices. It is just, it is pure classic Disney. And I just, I, I, I love it so much. As you're describing this, I'm just imagining, I'm juxtaposing John Favreau's live action, you know, quote unquote live action Lion King, and imagining how many of those things could go wrong. Do you know what I mean? You're saying how <laughs> tight this is and how what, I feel like it's going to be longer. I feel like the character designs aren't going to be to your liking. It's going to be difficult to capture that same kind of magic uh, in a live action, quote unquote, um, style for sure. I, I'm I'm very interested to see how they pull it off. Well, Jacob, while you've been traveling, did you get to watch anything this week? Uh, yes, I, I made the mistake of watching the first half of Channel Zero Season 4 in a dark hotel room alone. Not because Channel Zero is bad. Channel Zero Season 4 is pretty terrific uh, of the episodes I've seen. But it's some of the scariest shit I've ever seen, Peter. Uh, Chris uh, has seen this too, so maybe he can chime in in a second. But there's the central villain of Channel Zero Season 4. This is uh, a sci-fi anthology horror series. And season four um, features a character named Pretzel Jack, who's a contortionist um, nightmare creature conjured up from a woman's subconscious who murders <laughs> lots of people in the show. And it is one of the most upsetting villains I've ever seen in horror. And I feel like if this was a movie, 
and not a sci-fi TV show that's consistently underwatched. Like we'd be talking about Pretzel Jack a lot because he's so scary. Chris, is Pretzel Jack scary or am I crazy? He is very scary. He's one of the best recent horror villains uh, I can remember. Like uh, I agree. If this were a movie, this this character would be up there with like the Baba Duke as far as like new 21st century villains that everyone is talking about. He's a contortionist clown who very violently kills people this this season is uh shockingly violent so it, it's it's a very good season this is probably one of my favorite of, uh, of all the seasons yeah it's directed by uh, el Katz, who did um cheap thrills and i'm really excited to see him continue to work i he's a really fantastic director i also i know a few weeks ago i talked about catching up with the venture brothers um and I'm all caught up now. I've I've all caught up on Venture Brothers, and that show is spectacular. I can't believe how well it holds up. I mean, for a show that started out in 2003 and takes two to four years between seasons, its consistency is remarkable, and its willingness to reinvent itself and stay fresh is just admirable. I mean, the the show it is in season seven is not the show it was in season one in almost every possible way. And it just has a willingness to grow and to change and lets characters grow and change in a way that most animated shows do not. And I'm I'm bowled over by it. And the way it's... For a show that started off as a parody of comic books and a parody of old-school pulp adventure, it built its own mythology so completely that it no longer needs to be a parody. It's funny just because its characters are funny, and storytelling is so solid that even when it's not funny, you're gripped by the mythology of this crazy world. So even though the first episodes are rough by the standards of the day and are maybe a bit too adult-swimmy in their like, you know, stoner humor, um, the, the more modern seasons have grown up in ways that I find just remarkable. The show is maybe my top 10 shows of all time. Uh, but also, uh, Nintendo Switch got a YouTube app, and I now watch all of my YouTube on my Nintendo Switch. Uh, it is an amazing device. It just got even more amazing. So thank you, YouTube. Thank you, Nintendo. I now have no reason to not take my Switch with me everywhere. <laughs> ben, what have you been watching lately? Uh, I saw Creed 2, which I will just echo uh, Chris's thoughts on that. I, I pretty much am on the same page with him there, so I'll just move on to uh, Widows, which I saw this week. And everybody seems to love this movie, and I just sort of thought it was okay. That, that's my hot take. Like, yeah, this movie's fine. Um, I thought the performances were all good, but, like, the writing, I don't know. There, It's a movie with so much potential because the premise, which is that a bunch of guys – uh, who are thieves die during a job and their widows get together to essentially pull off the job that their husbands couldn't do is such a cool idea. And I don't know. I just, I felt like there was a little bit of missed missed potential in this movie. I, I thought that, um, that Daniel Kaluuya or Kaluuya, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce his name, uh, was, you know, he, he plays about a 180 from his characters in uh, Get Out and, and even like Black Panther. He's like this menacing uh, henchman to Brian Tyree Henry. He was he was uh, pretty good in that kind of role. Um, Viola Davis leads the movie and she is I mean, she's great as always, but it just sort of felt like there's something missing to this film. There's there are certain moments where characters say things or um, I don't know, the, the structure is, is uh, falls into place in such a way that it feels like a movie that is far lesser than the rest of the movie. Like it feels like an, like a, a top shelf movie for a lot of it. And then there are certain moments where it's just like, Oh wow, this feels like a, a made for TNT movie all of a sudden, the way that people are just like dropping one liners in that don't quite work or like, 
openly stating the themes in ways that feel didactic and weird. Or there's a there's one flashback that's just put into the movie at, at a seemingly random position that sort of tries to get at like the Black Lives Matter movement and like police brutality but doesn't it just seems like the laziest way that you could go about doing that um and i'm i'm just like huh that kind of stuff feels like it belongs in a worse movie than this so i don't know I, for me it was just okay but um chris i know you've seen this one has, has anybody else seen widows yet uh I, okay so i i have not seen the movie and i'm not a huge fan of uh mcqueen but like watching the trailers for this it just seemed like such a standard it didn't seem like the elevated stuff that he normally does, like it, it seemed kind of blah just from the well, marketing. The, the trailers kind of... make it seem like a like a full on action movie almost, and it's really not that. But yeah. um, but Chris, I think you probably like this movie a little bit more than me. What what did you think about it? Uh, I loved it. I'm surprised you didn't like it that much. Um, I, I thought what I loved about it was that it is it, it combines like very pulpy stuff with very smart social commentary uh in my opinion at least like it's a very the, the trailers are doing it a disservice by selling it as this you know heist movie and you know there is a heist in the movie but the movie has a lot more on its mind and i just love that all the characters are really well established like even minor characters who would probably get like you know, the short end of the stick in a lesser movie really get fleshed out really well here i don't know i i really liked it it's good it's uh, it's one of my favorite movies of the year Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say it's worth seeing, and especially because it's a movie that's aimed at adults, and it's kind of one of those movies that we always talk about don't get made very much anymore. So I'm sorry, I don't think it's a bad movie. I just, I wish it was, I wish it stayed uh, on on that top shelf for the whole time for me when it really didn't. But I, I would encourage people to go see it because we need movies like that to be supported so Hollywood continues to make films like that. Uh, and then on the TV side of things, I uh, started Ozark season two, which I'm only two episodes into that, so I can't really comment too much, but it's, it's sort of more but, the same. Um, it, it is a little bit of a change from the first season, no? Uh, a little bit, but I mean, not not too much so far. I, like I said, I'm only two episodes in, so it's sort of like setting the table. Uh, there's like a little bit more of a political element yeah. to it um, where uh, Laura Lenny's character used to be like a she used to work in politics and she's trying to to uh, work the local scene uh, to get a, a casino approved in season two. Um, and, uh, you know, the Ozark, it's, it's one of the shows that like the <laughs> the little details are so good, but in terms of like the larger plotting and the larger stuff that happens uh, over, you know, the, the broad strokes of the season, it kind of feels predictable. It's like the, the people in the writer's room are really, really smart when it comes to figuring out creative and interesting ways to get out of a corner that they've backed the characters into. But like they need somebody to look at the season in a macro sense and be like, you know, these beats all lead to somewhere interesting instead of just like, Oh yeah, you know this kind of thing is gonna is gonna happen next. Um, I don't know that that's kind of vague, but uh, that, that's my general feeling on on Ozark as a whole. I enjoy watching it, but yeah. some of it feels pretty predictable. But um, and then I, I'm also I, I 100 agree with you. There there is especially a storyline in season two. I'm not gonna try to spell it out or anything, but it, I think once it's introduced, like maybe a few episodes in, you're like, oh, I know where this is going. And, yeah. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. All right. Well, now I'm kind of dreading that. But uh, there's only ten episodes, so uh, maybe there's there will be enough for me to yeah. to enjoy along the way. But uh, and then also really quickly, I, I started uh, my wife and I started rewatching Community, which is one of our favorite shows, and um, 
that show was really good even from the beginning. A lot of uh, comedies like that, long-running comedies, it sort of takes them a full season to get on their feet and sort of find the tone and, and find their footing. But I feel like Community, it only took, you know, a couple episodes. And yeah, there's there's still some room for growth for like characters like Troy, uh, Donald Glover's character in the in the early season, but um, or early in the season, I should say. But uh, but it, it's basically like a, it, it emerged fully formed, which was sort of surprising. This is the first time I've rewatched the show since it ended. And uh, the jokes are still so good. And the, the structure is so good. I love all the pop culture references and like the the meta storytelling. Um, I mean, it's seems a little played out now but um man i just i love that show so all all of that is on hulu if people want to uh, to dive in yeah that first season was good i think it escalated in season two like they they kind of figured out what was working the best but it was even season one you're I, I agree it was was very good um let's move on to what we've been reading or actually where are you rewatching community community is all on hulu and ozark season two is on netflix okay uh, what we've been reading, I, uh, for some reason, unrelated to if I liked the movie or not, I uh, downloaded and paid for Marvel Unlimited to read the Miles Morales run of Ultimate Spider-Man, and I've read the first 10 issues. I'm really, really enjoying this. I have not, I, whatever for whatever reason, didn't, didn't read it when it, uh, you know, first came about in, well, like 2012-ish, and um, it's just it's just so good brian bendis uh it just wrote the hell out of this i uh also i haven't had marvel unlimited for a while if you don't for those of you don't know marvel unlimited is a subscription service you can have on your ipad or your computer and you can basically have access to almost all of marvel's past catalog of comics up until six months ago um the app is very uh bad the UI is bad, and uh, there, there's like I don't know. There's some baffling choices here. Like, there's no way for me to add a run of comics to my read list so that like you know I can go through that. I got to keep on looking them up every time. Uh, and there's like no way to like follow a series. So like, say you wanted to follow, you know, the Amazing Spider-Man series, and when a new comic comes out, it would alert you. There's no way to do that. I, I'm, I'm assuming. Marvel doesn't want people signing up for this and using this as their, like, main comic book reading. So they don't want people to think, oh, this is the way you can do it. And, like, you know, this is more of a way to go back and read past uh, comics. But it's it's really frustrating from, uh, from a reader's perspective. But I'm really loving the Miles Morales run of Ultimate Spider-Man. And uh, I would recommend... Anybody who is excited for Spider-Man into the into the um, Spider-Verse to not read the comics before seeing the movie, because I feel like the ah, I can't say anything. Okay, but <laughs> Jacob, what have you been reading? Uh, I just wanted to quickly chime in on the Miles Morales comics. They are great. I want to give a special shout out to uh, artist Sarah Pacelli, who uh, is one of the best actors in Marvel comics or in comics in general, the way her, her characters uh, phys- physically carry themselves in the page, their expressions, their reactions, I'd say she's one of the absolute best, and she is a perfect match for Bendis' dialogue. Uh, so, like, j- if you have Marvel Unlimited, you know, the Ultimate Spider-Man run with Miles Morales is as good as Peter is saying. You should definitely check it out. And, and there's, like, conversations, and uh, I don't know. It, it's just, you would think that this kind of deeper emotional stuff wouldn't be handled in a superhero comic and i'm just uh i'm just loving it 
Yeah. Uh, as for me, I've been reading uh, Blood, Sweat, and Pixels by Jason Schreier. Uh, Jason Schreier is a writer at Kotaku.com. He's one of my favorite video game journalists. He very regularly writes big scoops and big stories. And Blood, Sweat, and Pixels is him. I think it's 10 chapters. Each chapter is dedicated to the making of a different video game over the past decade or so. A lot of recent games, a few canceled games, a few games that were masterpieces, a few that weren't. And it's pretty much tries to um, shed a light on the process of developing a video game. And this is fascinating to me because I've read so many books in a film production. I've made movies. I've been on film sets. I know how movies are made. But for as many video games as I've played, I've never understood the process of how you make a video game, how the process works, of, of uh, how you schedule that, how you staff that, how you make those games come into existence. And I feel like that's the point of this book is that Schreier is trying to write the, the first truly definitive look at behind the scenes of why people have to crunch and why video games cost so much and why they fail so often and why when they're successful, it's a miracle in any way. And each chapter may be, you know, 30 pages long. So it's potentially, you know, a series of articles more or less, even though it's, it's a book and a book alone, but it's absolutely fascinating. And even if, even if you're not a video game fan, the uh, stories of how this industry works and how the creative and the technical have to come together to make this happen is absolutely thrilling. I am loving it. Uh, I've also picked up uh, George R. R. Martin's Fire and Blood, it, the book he's been not writing Game of Thrones, <laughs> book six, wins the winner uh, to write. Fire and Blood is the first of two books uh, chronicling the history of the Targaryen family. Targaryens, as for those of you who watched the show, uh, Game of Thrones, is um, Daenerys' family, her ancestors, and these books will chronicle how they uh, left their homeland following uh, the Doom, uh, which will hopefully be explained finally. I keep hearing about the Doom for decades and thousands of pages and how they came to Westeros and conquered it flying dragons. And it's written as an in-universe in tome. Like it's written um, not as a novel, but as a, um, a historical text written by somebody in the universe of Game of Thrones or Song of Ice and Fire who is recounting this legend and, and this history. So I'm looking forward to digging into that. And once I have, I'll bring back the relevant details for the you show fans who won't read the books. <laughs> Um, let's move on to what we've been eating. Uh, this uh, week I uh, am off my diet because I went to Disneyland. I got to finally try these peppermint bark Oreos, uh, and uh, I really like them. They almost taste like those um, the Girl Scout cookies, the the thin mints, but with a more peppermint uh, taste to them. I I recommend them. And uh, I also, when I was at Disneyland, I went to Disney California Adventure every holiday now has a thing called the Festival of Holidays, where they have booths uh, alongside uh, the pier and that in the, the Napa Valley area. And basically, they're, they're selling all sorts of uh, drinks and food inspired by the holidays. It's kind of like a, an extension of like what Epcot did with food, food and wine and uh the garden festivals and it, it just so much great food this this time like usually half of it's kind of like a wash and half of it's great everything i had this year was fantastic like to give you an idea they had a uh, uh stuffing tamale which was amazing they had um i don't know it, uh, oh i had um I got to try one of the things that's going on for Christmas this year at uh, Disneyland, which is a peppermint churro, which is basically they take a churro, they put some icing on it, they dip it into uh, crushed up peppermint, and then they drizzle some chocolate on it. And uh, it 
it's probably one of the best desserts I've ever had at Disneyland. So if you can get yourself to Disneyland Resort this holiday season and try that peppermint churro, I highly recommend it. And I was eating it in the Breadwood Trail area of uh, DCA, walking through there. And I guess this year they installed these uh, snow blowers, like those fake snow blowers, that every half an hour like just go off. And I did not know that. So I'm eating this peppermint churro and all of a sudden it starts snowing like in this like tree lined area where like usually when you have like those fake snow things like you can kind of see an area that isn't getting the snow. But because this is kind of like an alleyway, uh, you know, a tree surrounding you, it looked like it was snowing everywhere. And it was just kind of like one of those magical moments that can only happen at Disney. And uh, yeah, Uh, so go check out the food. At, can, uh, you, DC, can you send what? me one of those churros, Peter? Um, I no, you'll have to come here. You'll have to come here. Uh, well, that's that's just not gonna happen. Brad, uh, while I've been uh, eating a lot of stuff, what what have you been eating this week? Uh, nothing too crazy this week, but I did get my hands on this new holiday season seasonal flavor of Mountain Dew. Uh, it's called Merry Mashup Mountain Dew, and it's um. Mountain Dew released a holiday flavor last year that combined both their regular Mountain Dew and their Code Red Mountain Dew into one drink, and it was pretty good. And this year, it's um, a, a little bit uh, – they decided to do something completely different. So it's not um, – it's, it's a new flavor, and it's basically it's cranberry pomegranate flavored soda. Um, cranberry is like, like a big holiday uh, seasonal flavor apparently around, around winter time, and so I tried it, and – uh, it's pretty good. I don't like it as much as I liked last year's mix of the two regular Mountain Dews, um, but this is a, it's a pretty solid substitute, I suppose, if they're going to try and do new flavors every year for, for Mountain Dew. I, and uh, then, I, I usually don't like these Mountain Dew flavors, but and that seems like a weird mix, cranberry and pomegranate. It's pretty good. It almost it almost tastes like a Mountain Dew version of like that spark of, of like a sparkling cranberry juice, I guess. If that makes sense. I'm out. Wow. Old. And then, uh, just as an aside, I um, I found out that you can, at Starbucks, obviously they have seasonal flavors, and I found out that you can, obviously you can get a peppermint mocha at Starbucks, and they also have white chocolate flavors. And I just had the idea, the other day, I, was like, I was like, do they combine those? And so I asked, I was like, can I get a white chocolate peppermint mocha at Starbucks? And they were like, yeah, for sure. And I was like, oh my god, this is a life-changing thing and it's so good so if you haven't combined those two flavors of starbucks just you know treat yourself a little bit that sounds fantastic uh jacob what have you been eating well uh i can't talk to you about why i was in atlanta but i can tell you what i did after that on both nights and i since I, I don't know this i don't know atlanta very well i went to school in savannah georgia but i very little atlanta experience i went to the hotel concierge and asked for recommendations within walking distance of my hotel and the first night, she recommended South City Kitchen for a classic Southern uh, fare. So I decided to go all out. I got bourbon to drink. I got fried chicken, uh, mashed potatoes, collard greens, fried green tomatoes, and fried chicken livers. And it was all very good. And I don't know if I ate a tourist trap or if, or, or if, or if it's an actual treasure. Please, Atlanta, Atlanteans, write into the show and let me know. Is South City Kitchen actually good or did I eat at some place the tourists go? <laughs> and and um, also the next night I went to Lure, uh, L-U-R-E, a seafood restaurant, probably owned by the same collective that owned Cell City Kitchen. Uh, and it was very good. Uh, I got catfish and chowder, and I enjoyed it a great deal. Once again, Atlanteans, 
let me know. Did I get a did I luck out? Did I get good seafood in Atlanta? Or did I just go to the place that everybody goes to uh, and all the locals like roll their eyes at? Let me know. I really actually want to know very much. <laughs> oh, uh, I have one thing to add to what I've been eating. Uh, there is an institution in West Hollywood called Irv's. They, are, they basically serve burgers and fries. They used to be at the stand uh, on Santa Monica Boulevard a few years back. Uh, they raised the rent and they had to move to a new location. And they've been around for uh, decades. Seth Rogen has tweeted about them many times. A lot of celebrities. Like, if you go there, they have, like, photos up of all these people that have eaten there. And uh, the the person who serves you, like, will draw, like, a caricature of – or not a caricature. Like, almost like a, a small little drawing of your face on, like, the paper plate. It's very cute. Uh, it's a great place. And it was uh, revealed this week that they're closing for good. So this week is the last week you can get herbs in uh, West Hollywood before it, it goes away for good. So I got to uh, head down there. I had lunch with Larry Fong, the cinematographer, and I uh, had uh, a burger and fries for the last time at Irv. So, uh, Ben, have you ever been to Irv's? I have not. Man, I'm, I'm bummed that I'm probably going to miss out on this. <sighs> you might want to check it out this week. Uh, I guess probably Friday or Saturday might be your, your last last chance although it, it is kind of just your typical burger and fries it's not like there's anything like that special about the food it's more of the people that run the business it's, it's just mm-hmm. kind of a, a cool thing um but anyways uh let's move on to what we've been playing brad what have you been playing so i've been playing any video games lately but since we sometimes like to interject music stuff into this section uh, i will say that i have been listening to the Greatest Showman Reimagined quite a bit, uh, which is the um, soundtrack from The Greatest Showman remade by a bunch of chart-topping artists like Kelly Clarkson and uh, Pink and Panic at Disco and Pentatonix. And uh, the music is easily the best part of The Greatest Showman because the movie otherwise is kind of a train wreck. Um, But the soundtrack is fantastic. The songs are incredible. And all the covers that they did for this remake of the soundtrack are awesome. Uh, Kelly Clarkson's um, version of Never Enough specifically is a standout. Panic at the Disco, regardless of what you think of them, they're kind of the perfect band to uh, do a cover of The Greatest Show. And it's just, it's a great collection of artists uh, uh, that they got to do the soundtrack. Jacob, you've been listening to this a lot too, right? Yeah, I've been listening to it uh, pretty much nonstop for the past few days. And uh, like you said, I think that The Greatest Showman as a movie is a bullshit factory. It kind of makes me angry. Uh, but the musical numbers and the songs are awesome. And uh, I listen to the soundtrack all the time, and uh, and so this one has been a, a nice break from the original, from the basic soundtrack. And I think you're right. Uh, the Kelly Clarkson cover is the only um, song that I think is flat out a thousand times better than the original. It is so good. <laughs> um, the rest of the songs are, are good. They're all really good covers, ranging from good to great. Uh, uh, I don't think I like it as much as the basics as the original soundtrack, but it is. Definitely really fun. If you really already like the soundtrack to the to the movie, this is really worth listening to because those songs are those songs are so good. They're gonna go out. They're gonna outlive the movie by by years. They're so good. What else have you been playing, Jacob? Oh, um, I finally started playing uh, Diablo three on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Diablo three is a game. Uh, the third game in the Diablo series from Blizzard Entertainment. Blizzard, you know, makes Overwatch, World of Warcraft, Warcraft, Starcraft. They're they're a big company. They're very popular and very strong following. And Diablo three 
is a dungeon crawler where you go through uh, dungeons is like, you know, a warrior or a mage or all the classic fantasy tropes. You fight demons, uh, you collect loot, and ultimately it's a game of making the numbers get bigger. You want to find, um, you want to make, you want to level up so you can make your numbers bigger. You want to find better equipment to make your numbers get bigger. You want to kill lots of demons so your numbers get bigger. <laughs> so even though there is a story and there is lore and there is other stuff going on, it's ultimately a game about how big can I make my numbers. <laughs> and this is a really great way to spend a flight or to spend time at the airport. Or if you've been sick for the past few days like I have and need something completely mindless but really fun and addictive, uh, just it's just a really fun way to watch numbers get bigger. That's Diablo 3 on Nintendo Switch. If you played it before on PC or PS4 or any other systems it's been on in the, over the past six years, um, this is this exact same game with all the DLC and expansion stuff added in. But being able to take it on the go and add friends come over and even just play it on our own Switch, um, having our own screen so we could uh, journey together and make our numbers get bigger together, <laughs> it was uh, it was so much fun. And if you already like Diablo 3, uh, it's, it's probably worth rebuying. And if you haven't played it before but like the idea of a really great casual social game that's also challenging and has just enough depth alongside being about something as simple as making your numbers get bigger. It's really fun. Uh, also, um, since I'm home with my family for Thanksgiving, uh, they're big board games fanatics. I always bring home a giant bag of board games. So you'll be hearing about more new games hopefully next week. We played some old favorites, but we played a new game called Someone Has Died. It's a uh, comedy improv um, card game where one person is uh, the arbitrator of a will. They have to make up somebody who's died, say like who they were, what they did, how much money they have, and everybody else has to draw a series of cards that tells them who they are. Like, you are a sentient robot who wants to feel love, and it gives you a relationship. Like, you were the deceased college roommate. It gives you some other background details, like random things that you have to incorporate into your character. Over a series of rounds, you have to pitch your character. You have to essentially play your character and try to pitch the arbitrator on why you deserve the money. And there are other cards that, like, change things up. Uh, they can, like, flip the table around. You get to keep adding more and more details to your character. And it's very funny. Like, if you play with the right group who's, like, willing to be silly and improvise and really get into it, it's a very, very fun game. I had a great time with it. Hmm. Uh, and that's called Someone Has Died? Uh, yes. It was a Kickstarter game, but it is now available at stores. Very cool. Ben, finally, what have you been playing? I started playing The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, which uh, I've been sort of wanting to do for a long time. And I finally uh, buckled down and got that game. And uh, it's pretty fun. It's, it's uh, you know, I, it's been a long time since I've played a game that gives you this much freedom. And I think Jacob's talked about this in terms of Red Dead Redemption 2 as well. Uh, and, and you've also brought up uh, Breath of the Wild too. But it's, you know, it's one of those things where like, the world is so huge and so open and you are really not pointed in in you're not you're not forced in any given direction and and, you know this is different than it feels different to me anyway than other open world games because even in games like grand theft auto and and that series it feels like there's always a thing that you kind of know you're supposed to really be doing and you can you know dick around and go off and do other things uh, at your own pace and then just mess around if you want to but you kind of feel like there's a thing that you should be doing and this it feels like yeah there's like 10 things you could be doing but just uh just go like wander around and see what's happening out there it's it's like kind of a freeing experience um jacob do you know what i'm talking about 
exactly. Um, there's a uh, Ubisoft. It's a, they're a good company, but they have so many open world games, like the Assassin's Creed games and the Far Cry games, where they have this massive open world and they populate it with, with dozens and dozens of icons, saying, look at all these things you can do. Here are dozens of icons to the north, south, east, west. Go find these things. You hear these things and go go to go to these spots and do things, whereas Zelda is like, no, no, no icons. If you if you want to see where you want to go, climb that mountain. Go climb that tower. And then open up your menu and place your own icons on things you think look interesting and go take a look for yourself. It yeah. is freeing. It is freeing in a way that I did not know I would enjoy this much. Yeah, and it's like, you know, there's this threat of, uh, you know, Ganon is like circling this castle and, and you just, other games would make it feel like, would make you feel like you have to rush through all this stuff to, because there's a ticking clock element, but it just seems like, yeah, he's over there, you know, he's just sort of spinning around that castle, things will probably be fine if you just take your time, like it's, it's, a, <laughs> it, it's, it's a weird kind of concept in uh, you know, an adventure story that ostensibly is supposed to be a life and death thing for like an entire kingdom. Um, but it, it really just seems like Ganon is fine just waiting on you to arrive <laughs> before like a final battle is initiated or something. And you can just sort of do everything at your own pace. It's kind of cool. That's one of the things I love about this game is that it's the only Zelda game where the opening revelation, the first hour of the game, you learn that Link lost like, a century ago. Um, Hyrule fell to Ganon, all the heroes died, and Link's been resurrected. And you're essentially wandering around the, the post-apocalypse. Everyone who's still alive like, is, is, like, doesn't have memories of 100 years ago, pretty much. And so the threat is, is, is always looming because Ganon is still alive, but there's no rush because you already lost. It's just you trying to save the day <laughs> and make a, make a tone for having screwed up earlier. And, and it lends the game this very melancholy sense of, well, this time I'm going to do it right, so I'll take my sweet time. Yeah, and the melancholy thing is interesting too. Not to not to you know uh, extend this conversation any further, but just like the music too. As you're walking through these grassy fields, it just sort of the music really paints that that melancholic picture as well. Like you really get the sense of like you're this guy who doesn't really remember about what's happened to him, and it's a it's a desolate game in a lot of ways. There's not that many people that you encounter, and you can spend long stretches of it just you know, uh, traversing huge expanses of land at your own pace. It's a, uh, it's a really interesting thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm probably, only, I've probably played for, uh, I don't know, seven hours or 10 hours or something like that. And I feel like I barely scratched the surface. So I, I have no idea how long it's going to take to get through this thing. But unlike other games, I, I feel no rush in, in doing so. <laughs> Very cool. And that's the legend of Zelda breath of the wild available for the Nintendo switch. Yes. And uh, yes, so that brings us to the end of today's episode of Slash Home Daily. This is going to be the last episode for this week because we're taking tomorrow off for Thanksgiving and Friday off as well. Although SlashFilm.com will have uh, you updated with news throughout that time. So if you're, if you're looking for some content, go onto the website. And uh, if there's any late breaking news, hopefully we'll get it up. <laughs> we'll take a break from the turkey dinner. And, uh, and get get some some of that content up. Uh, but yeah, you can find all of us at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please go to our iTunes page. Give us a five-star review. Write us a little blurb. Uh, tell your friends. Spread the word. We'll see you tomorrow. Hey, Peter, do you know what time it is? I, I thought because you were at your 
your, your relative's house that you didn't have your book. I don't have my book, but you know, it's Thanksgiving, which means that it's not a time for insults. It's not a time for being mean to each other. It's not a time for telling those horrible truths about my slash film uh, squad mates. It's time. <laughs> what is it time for? for it's time to come together with the world's funniest jokes about Thanksgiving. So, um, I have some very, 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 very funny Thanksgiving jokes for each one of you. Where, where, tailored where, where, to where, each are one you, of you. where are you getting these from? Um, from the funniest website in the world. <laughs> okay. Um, Hey, Peter, yeah. why did the farmer run a steamroller over his potato field on Thanksgiving Day? To make mashed potatoes? He wanted to raise mashed potatoes. Uh. Yeah, it's, very, it's very funny. Are you uh, sure hey, the world's funniest website? Hey, HT, HT, why did the turkey cross the road? Why? It was Thanksgiving Day, and he wanted people to think he was a chicken. Ah. Uh. <laughs> Hey, Chris, what is a turkey's favorite dessert? Uh, I don't know. Peach gobbler. Oh, I, I did know that, actually. <laughs> That's a good one, actually. <laughs> hey, Ben, why did the cranberries turn red? Um, I don't know. Because they saw the turkey dressing. <laughs> ah. Oh, God. That one's good, too. Wait, I like, I let's just the, do Thanksgiving I last two ones. <laughs> and finally, uh, save the best for last, uh, uh, Brad, what did the turkey say to the computer? Brad's muted, so <laughs> oh, I'll Brad. assume that he doesn't. Brad know. was so shocked by the joke right. that he went mute. I, I had no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> what did the turkey say to the computer? The turkey says, "Google, Google, Google." Oh, uh, uh, that's, that's horrible. If you want more of these hilarious jokes, you can go to um, www.boyslife.org. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Okay. Uh, <laughs> da, da, da. <laughs> uh, not to get sen- sentimental, but uh, it is Thanksgiving, so I want to thank everybody who's listening. Uh, we really appreciate it, and I want to thank the entire staff who every day does a great job on SlashFilm.com and on this podcast. Uh, you guys have been kicking butt lately. But everybody, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. All right. Happy Thanksgiving, cool. everyone. Thanks. All right. Happy yeah. Thanksgiving. Have a good one. Eat lots of food. <laughs> Eat Bye. it, as Ben said. Yeah. <laughs>